You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, October 23rd. And I'm here to recap number two, Ohio State's 54-10 drubbing of the Iowa Hawkeyes in the horseshoe yesterday afternoon. Now, in our preview pod on Thursday, Paige, Chad, and I all predicted some version of an Ohio State blowout. Chad came the closest in his prediction to the actual score. He had the Buckeyes, I think, 59-10. to Kudos to UCP for that. Only five points off the actual score. Now, the 54 points that Ohio State scored in that game were the most surrendered by Iowa since Kirk Ferentz took over as head coach in 1999. It's pretty impressive. But I don't think any of us, Paige, Chad, or myself, really envisioned the path Ohio State would take to this blowout win. I said in the preview pod that I thought the Iowa defense was good enough to keep this game relatively close for a while, but I didn't anticipate how badly they would flummox the Buckeye offense for the better part of two and a half quarters. And that's what they did. In spite of the fact that the Iowa offense and special teams continued to give the ball to the Ohio State offense deep in Hawkeye territory throughout the first quarter and second quarter, the Buckeye offense started four different first half possessions inside the Iowa 35-yard line thanks to two Spencer Peaches turnovers, an interception to Tanner McAllister on the first play of the game, and then a fumble on a strip sack by Zach Harrison later in the first quarter. Iowa also had a failed fake punt attempt late in the first quarter that gave the ball to Ohio State at the Hawkeye 34-yard line. Finally, in the second quarter, Iowa had to punt from the back of their own end zone, and the ball was returned to the Hawkeye 32-yard line by Emeka Ibuka. Now, on all four of those possessions, Ohio State had to settle for field goals. And credit the Iowa defense. I mean, they answered the bell all four times. And again, for about two and a half quarters, they were able to leave their corners, Riley Moss and Cooper DeGene, on islands in coverage against those Buckeye receivers, which allowed their safeties to play closer to the line of scrimmage and really stifle the Ohio State run game. Iowa held the Buckeye offense to 3.9 yards per play in the first half. They held Trey Henderson and Mayan Williams to a combined 2.86 yards per carry. Wow. The Hawkeyes even held a brief lead in the game, thanks to their defense. On Ohio State's second possession, Iowa defensive end Joe Evans came untouched through the Buckeye offensive line on a stunt and whacked C.J. Stroud, jarring the ball loose. Evans would scoop the ball up and return it 11 yards for a touchdown, giving the Hawkeyes a stunning 7-3 lead with 13 minutes to play in the first half. Now, the Buckeyes did manage one sustained scoring drive in the first half. It was 10 plays, 75 yards, and it was an answer to Evan's scoop and score. Mayan Williams finished the drive with a two-yard touchdown run, allowing the Buckeyes to retake the lead 10-7. to Ohio State would add another touchdown right before the half on a pick six by Tommy Eichenberg. Again, this was off of Spencer Petrus. It was Petrus's third turnover of the half. My God, he was terrible. And despite all their struggles on offense, the Buckeyes would take a very comfortable... 26 to 10 lead into the half. The Buckeye offense would continue to struggle into the third quarter. CJ Stroud was intercepted by linebacker Jack Campbell on Ohio State's first play from scrimmage of the third quarter. And then the Buckeyes would go three and out on their next possession. And I got to say, I was starting to question just about everything 
I believed about C.J. Stroud and the Buckeye offense coming into this game. And I think it was around that time, Paige said on our text thread, you know, do we have to reset our expectations of this team now based on what we're watching? I, what, what the hell were we watching? None of us could figure it out. It was, it was very strange. But then Stroud and the Ohio State offense would stop messing around and finally lock in. Now, it started with the Buckeye defense forcing yet another Iowa turnover. Tanner McAllister would come up with another interception in this game. This time it was off Alex Padilla, who replaced Spencer Petras, giving the Buckeyes the ball at the Iowa 15-yard line. Now, it wasn't easy. And as they had done all day long, the Hawkeye defense would bow up. They'd stuff Mayan Williams on third and short, forcing the Buckeyes into a fourth and one from the Iowa six-yard line. Ryan Day, of course, elected to go for it, and he put the ball in C.J. Stroud's hands. Rolling to his left, Stroud delivered an absolute dime into the tightest of windows near the pylon at the goal line to Marvin Harrison Jr., who made a beautiful catch, getting both feet down in the end zone to push the Ohio State lead out to a 33-10 advantage. Now, that was the beginning of a 21-point flurry on only 10 plays and a series of throws by Stroud against actually pretty damn good coverage by Iowa DBs that were just surgical. Stroud would throw another dime in the back of the end zone on Ohio State's ensuing possession to a Mecklenburg Buka for a 13-yard touchdown. And then on Ohio State's next possession after that, Stroud would hit Julian Fleming for a 79-yard touchdown pass on a play that was, again, very well covered by Iowa. But the pass was right on the money. The Iowa defensive back would fall down and Fleming was, was pretty much able to walk into the end zone. Stroud would throw one more touchdown pass before his day was done. It was a three-yarder to Mitch Rossi in the fourth quarter to put the Buckeyes up 54-10. to After Stroud's interception to start the third quarter, listen to this, he would go 10 of 12 for 181 yards and four touchdown passes. I told the guys over text that watching that second half flurry by the Ohio State passing game was a little like watching the Golden State Warriors. You know, I'm a lifelong Cavs fan. And, you know, those four seasons in a row where the Cavs and the the Warriors would meet in the finals, those last two finals in particular, it was so frustrating watching those games because the Cavs would have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson kind of locked down for three quarters. And then the two of them, Curry and Thompson, would go off for like 10 threes to start the fourth quarter. And suddenly the game is over, right? And, And that must have been what it felt like for the Iowa defense. You know, most of the throws during that that flurry were contested and and it didn't even really matter. I mean, CJ Stroud was a little reminiscent of Steph Curry during that, that, uh, that flurry because uh, you know, when Steph Curry gets hot, it doesn't really matter how well he's defended, you know, those shots are going in and, and that was a, it must've been what it was like for the Iowa defense trying to defend those throws from Stroud. Pretty helpless feeling. I think if you're trying to stop it. Now the Ohio state running game, Never really got going all day. And you, uh, credit to Iowa. I mean, they were bound and determined to take away the Ohio State run game. Trey Henderson, Mayan Williams finished the afternoon with a combined 57 yards on 21 carries. That's 2.7 yards per carry. And that snapped a four-game streak of at least 230 yards rushing by the Buckeye ground game. Ohio State also finished the day four of seven converting touchdowns in the red zone, which doesn't look too bad. But they were only one of four in the first half. And on the day, the Buckeye offense was only 3 of 13 on third down. Again, credit to Iowa for that. So the question is, can other Ohio State opponents, namely Penn State and Michigan, replicate 
what the Hawkeye defense did for two and a half quarters yesterday against the Ohio State offense. Did the Hawkeyes give us a blueprint for slowing down the Buckeye offense? You also have to wonder how yesterday's game might have gone if the Hawkeyes had even a competent, mediocre offense. I mean, Ohio State fans might have really been sweating that game out if Iowa could do anything on offense. But look, I'm personally way more inclined to give the Iowa defense credit for a a good plan and for really competing for the better part of two and a half quarters. I think it's quite possible that Ohio State was just a little rusty coming out of the off week. And we did see what looked like some timing issues between Stroud and his receivers in the first half. The Buckeyes did not have their best stuff on offense yesterday. I mean, that is that much is was clear. And yet they still put up 47 points. And, you know, it's it's just it's just hard to be too critical when you end up with a total of 54 points against an Iowa defense that coming into this game had only given up five touchdowns all season. So, you know, I, I think uh, in the end, pretty scary performance by the Buckeyes not having their best stuff and still dominating one of the best defenses. I don't want to say dominate, but still putting up, uh, you know, 47 points offensively against one of the the best defenses in the country. Now, on the other side of the ball, the Buckeye defense is probably not going to get much credit, if any, for dominating a pretty hapless Iowa offense. But Ohio State did exactly what it was supposed to do, holding Iowa to 158 total yards of offense, creating six turnovers, five sacks, 10 tackles for loss. There was going to be no funny business in this game. They were not going to let Iowa hang around. So credit to the Ohio State defense for that. Zach Harrison was a monster yesterday. I think it might have been his best game of his career. One strip sack, two tackles for loss, one batted pass that he batted down at the line of scrimmage to end an Iowa drive. According to PFF, Harrison finished with five quarterback pressures, and he was Ohio State's top graded defender with a grade of 97.5. My God. Tommy Eichenberg continues to make his case for first-team All-Big Ten. Eichenberg finished with seven tackles, one tackle for loss, a pick six, and one pass breakup. He was Ohio State's second-graded, second-highest-graded defender, according to PFF, with a grade of 91. I also really like what I saw out of JT Tui Malowau. He had a nice day. He finally got home for his first sack of the season. He finished with four quarterback pressures and an overall PFF grade of 80.6. I also loved what I saw out of Lathan Ransom. He played 51 snaps. He led the defense in tackles with eight. He forced a fumble. Now, I said it last week. I think Ransom is Ohio State's most versatile defensive back. He might even be their most versatile defensive player, period. And he was one of four players who tied for the team lead in snaps played yesterday with 51. Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, and Ronnie Hickman were the other three. And I think, you know, those are the guys right there. You can tell by the snap count. Those are the guys that Jim Knowles trusts the most. You know, they never leave the field. You know, that's what that tells me. They have the ultimate trust of Knowles. I also really liked what I saw from Denzel Burke, though he wasn't tested in coverage, but he had probably his best game of the season. Burke has taken a lot of flack this season, for sure, especially from me. But I thought he was solid yesterday. His overall PFF grade was a 71.4. He led all Ohio State defensive backs in coverage with a grade of 71.3. Look, it was only Iowa, you know, so we got to take that into account. But maybe this was a get-right game for Burke and something he can build on. Finally, it was good to see cornerback Jordan Hancock. 
get some run for the first time this season. Hancock played 15 snaps and finished with a solid PFF grade of 64.3. You can add Hancock now to a rotation that includes J.K. Johnson, who himself was pretty solid yesterday. Johnson finished with a PFF grade of 66.8 and 50 snaps played. He started in place of Cam Brown, who was injured. So this group of young second-year corners will be very interesting to watch over these last five games. I'm talking about Burke, Hancock, and Johnson. Cornerback is the last remaining question for this defense, which, by the way, now ranks number two nationally in total defense and fifth in defensive yards per play. I still maintain the real test of whether this defense is truly worthy of those rankings is still five weeks away on November 26th against Michigan. But so far, I love what I'm seeing from Jim Knowles' unit. One other observation from yesterday, Jackson Smith and Jigba appeared to have re-aggravated that hamstring injury in the second quarter. He did not play in the second half. Now, he started the game. He played 22 snaps. He finished with one catch for seven yards. He actually fumbled on the play, but was able to get the ball back. Ryan Day said in the postgame that JSN was on a pitch count and had reached his snap limit, and that's why he did not return to the game in the second half. I'm sorry, I don't buy that explanation. And I unfortunately think JSN may have played his last game in a Buckeye uniform. I think there's a very good chance he shuts it down to get ready for the NFL draft. So not a ton of other intriguing results from around the country, at least from an Ohio State perspective. Penn State, the Buckeyes' next opponent, did not collapse against Minnesota last night, as I thought they might, coming off that embarrassing loss to Michigan. Give Penn State credit. They steamrolled the Gophers, 45-17. Sean Clifford bounced back from a dismal performance against Michigan last week to throw for 295 yards and four touchdown passes last night. Now, it is worth noting, Minnesota was without starting quarterback Tanner Morgan, who was hurt in last week's loss to Illinois. But, you know, this sets up what should be a top 15 matchup between Ohio State and Penn State next week in Happy Valley. That game will not be a whiteout, by the way. It's a noon kick on Fox. But uh, hey, we know Happy Valley is never an easy place to win. And it doesn't really seem to matter how Penn State plays against the rest of their schedule under James Franklin. They always play the Buckeyes tough, even when they're not that good. I don't think the line on this game has come out yet. I checked just a couple minutes ago. I didn't see one. But I expect Ohio State to be in the neighborhood of a 14-point favorite in this game. Now, Penn State is 49th nationally in total defense. They're 43rd in offensive yards per play. They're 63rd nationally in total defense and 38th in defensive yards per play. So not really as good as they typically are on defense. And, you know, that's something to watch. A lot more to come on this game later this week. Paige, Chad, and I will be back with a preview of this game along with our predictions on Wednesday or Thursday. So until then, thanks so much for listening and go Bucks. You've been listening to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.